0: Welcome to Thanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode
1: 39, Charlie Wilson's Wall from 2007.
0: I'm Mike Manzi. And
1: I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, the co-host of the Contenders podcast, Mr. Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Howdy. Wonderful. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Thanks for coming back after Rock of Ages over on uh, Cruise Club, by the way. Appreciate
1: it.
2: Hey, you know, when Philip Seymour Hoffman is as good as he is in this movie, I will I'll get over anything.
1: I was telling Islin, your co-host and your sister, Yes. I guess sister first and then co-host second, But or maybe, I don't know, who knows, maybe co-host first (laughs) and sister second, that the host of our newest show on the network, John Brooks of Hard to Believe, was telling me that he was listening to the Rock of Ages episode. He thought it was great. And then he said, you know, the one show that I really love on your network is The Contenders. And I was like, Oh. oh... I mean, I was, you know, disappointed I wasn't one of mine, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, I get it. That's very sweet. So now, Mike, before we dive into Charlie Wilson's War, can, and if people haven't done their homework and listened to the P.S. I Love Hoffman episode of this movie, can you please give a rundown, a plot summary? of what Charlie Wilson's War is all about. All right. Let's see if I got it straight. This is this is not as easy as other Hanks movies.
0: Yeah, I think I got it streamlined, though. This is about the third or fourth time I've seen it. But here we go. Hanks plays Charlie Wilson. It's 1980. He's a alcoholic, womanizing congressman from Texas who has lots of free time and lots of favors and just seems to get a lot of shit done. Enter Julia Roberts, who plays Joanne, who is like this super rich, ultra-ring right socialite who wants to help the... the... The poor people of Pakistan, Afghanistan. Pakistan? Help me out. Pakistan.
2: The people of Afghanistan are refugees in Pakistan, yeah.
0: (laughs) She wants Charlie Wilson to help the people of Afghanistan be liberated from the tyranny of the Russians and the USSR. But Charlie Wilson can't simply just, you know, hand over weapons with the American name on it. Enter Gust, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who works for the CIA, who has been assigned to Charlie Wilson. Charlie Wilson uh, keeps beefing up his budget for weapons and war munitions and Gust- uh, figures out a way to get that over to the people that need them. Uh, sure enough, the, the three of these people have funded and started a covert Cold War in the middle of the Cold War, which they have armed and funded the Mujahideen, who would later team up with James Bond and Rambo, no less, throughout the 80s. So I guess Charlie <laughs> Wilson's responsible for that. They go on to defeat the Russians by the end of the 80s, opening up questionable possibilities for the future and by the end charlie's not quite sure exactly what he's done gust is sure and he does not think that there is a clear positive future in uh, the aftermath of what has occurred you know julia roberts joanne got exactly what she wanted so the three of them have changed the face of war changed the face of the cold war changed the face of afghanistan and russia forever uh, and no one knew about it until now so uh, that's that's kind of as close as i could get compacting this plot here
1: but uh, there's more to there's more to go through. And they also kind of helped cause 9-11.
0: Oh, well, yeah. So, like, the Mujahideen (laughs) would go on to become the Taliban in about a decade or so. And, yeah,
1: that would occur, of course. Yeah. That's Charlie Wilson's War. Like I said before, it was covered on Pieta Love Hoffman because Philip Schumer Hoffman is incredible in this movie. We have our main man, Tom Hanks, in a different kind of role, I think, than normal. But, Tobin, I guess, first off, what's your history with this? Because this is the first time I've seen it. Mike said he's seen it three or four times. What's your history with this? Is this one that you loved? And why did you sign up for it?
2: This is a movie I wanted to revisit because I'd only seen seen it once before. I went to it in the theater, uh, mostly because I was a big Aaron Sorkin fan and a big Mike Nichols fan. The writer and the director of this movie had me, like that was enough to get me into the into the theater. Mm-hmm. And I didn't love it at the time. I wasn't sure. I've always kind of wanted to revisit it because there were things I, in my memory that I liked a lot. So I was curious to sort of see it again, which is why I uh, raised my hand for this one.
1: Very cool. So now having seen it again, do you have a favorite part or a favorite moment or a favorite character?
2: Yeah, Gust is clearly... I think the energy of this movie comes from Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. He handles the Sorkin dialogue so beautifully and makes it sound like it's his own. Sometimes with Aaron Sorkin, everybody kind of sounds like, you don't always believe that everybody is as smart as they sound. Gust, I 100% believe. Like, Hoffman is able to imbue all this history, his sort of personal, the the character's personal history in every line of dialogue that he has. That, the same thing happened to me, I sort of, oh, this is interesting. It was kind of, as a movie was going along, like, oh, this is kind of interesting to see Hanks try this, and this really working. And then Gust shows up, and I Sit up straight in my chair. That's he is my favorite thing about this movie.
1: I had written down that Tom Hanks was received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Performance of an Actor in a Motion Picture Comedy or Musical. However, I was like, oh no, it's actually Philip Seymour Hoffman. But he got the supporting role nomination in this. He also got the Academy Award nomination for Best Actor in Supporting Role. Julia Roberts in the Golden Globes supporting role. So like, it's working for a lot of people. It does. To your point, Philip Seymour Hoffman does a better job, I think, of it. But man, oh, man. Like, you know, Mike, I love the Bros. I love their passion for that guy. But there's a lot of movies where I'm just like, I know he's great, but he doesn't do it for me. The way that he does it for them in a lot of movies, and then there's a movie like this, and I'm just like, oh wait, no, I get it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like even me too. I like I feel like a third Hoff bro, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like I love him so much too. But like even this movie, I feel like he stands apart from some of his other performances and stuff. Like he's behind a bit more of a facade here. Like he's got the mustache, the big the big glasses, and like uh, all that kind of stuff. But I feel like he steals the show here. Like Tobin says, like he just seems to talk Sorkin more naturally than most people, you know? Like, I even forgot this was, an, was a Sorkin film until the credit came up at the end and all that yeah, kind me of too. stuff. I was like, oh, that makes sense, okay. Yeah, and then it was like, it made perfect sense, especially that chess scene in the park, right? Like, that... <laughs> is like Sorkin's wet dream. Totally, (laughs) totally. (laughs) But yeah, you know, like from that first scene of him in Slattery in The Office and then you find out like that's their second go around and everything, yeah. I feel like he's the best formed character in the film, even though we're, because like we we get to know Charlie. I feel like by the end of the movie, I know him better, but like I don't start off knowing him or liking him or any of that kind of thing. It's like kind of like a process. I never get to like Julia Roberts' character, but I love her performance. But Philip Seymour Hoffman, like I need a whole other series of movies with this guy as a spy being shuffled around the CIA into like different offices and
1: things like that. So would you say, I don't know if you, you might have said these verbatim words and I might have missed it. Is he your favorite part of this movie too or do you have a more uh, a more favorite part?
0: Yeah, I think he is
1: my favorite part
0: of this movie, but there's, a, there's like a more stupid favorite part of this movie for me that I kind of mentioned in the plot summary and like it's another thing about this movie is like I really loved it when it first came out and the kind of the more I watch it the less I kind of do like it and like not that I feel like it's a bad movie or anything it's just I don't know this time around it less left, left like more of like a bitter taste in my mouth i guess
1: well i think it's supposed to
0: yeah and i don't and i didn't get that necessarily the first like two times and stuff so this time around i i feel like i finally got it but my favorite part is just all the stuff with the mujahideen and like that since this guy charlie wilson who like kind of funded not kind of but like funded them and built them up and just the idea that they sort of became allies and to the degree that like I, like fucking rambo and james bond fought with these guys like in films throughout the 80s and stuff and then you know the turn it took in real life and so like I think all that kind of like coincidence and stuff is like still one of my favorite parts of this movie is like here's sort of you know part of the genesis of why all that happened in media and stuff like that for film
1: so like that's wild it's kind of amazing to me that by the end like how quickly this all accelerates like it feels like once the ball gets rolling and I guess it's probably how it works in real life it's just like oh we can't stop this
2: It made me think if they made this today, it would almost certainly be a limited series. I mean, they're sort of just getting going. And I look at the time and like, oh, there's only like 40 minutes left in this movie. And so everything else has to be kind of and not that I want everything to be longer. I don't. I don't. But I do think that it might be interesting if this was this had a little bit more room to breathe to see how Gust and Charlie work the various sides of their partnership. I kind of want to see this odd couple like work this stuff out, you know?
1: I gotta say, though, like, when we've had so many long, long, long Tom Hanks movies, and then for me to look and be like, oh, an hour 48, okay, I can (laughs) can do this, like, that's a blessing in disguise right there, but I do agree, like, it feels like almost the first hour, to a certain extent, is, like, fun and games, and then it's just like, oh, now things are happening, it's like, oh, now the movie's over, it does feel like a weird, every scene works on its own, I don't know if it works in conjunction with each other super well, because I do feel like it accelerates to hit some kind of, like, arbitrary, like, under an hour 10, or, I don't know, but, Like, it does feel like it really accelerates very rapidly toward the end.
0: Yeah, and we start to get a lot more, like, I feel, real-life footage, news clips, B-roll, like, stock footage, things like that. And maybe part of the point is, like, well, we know the rest of the story this was the covert part that no one was privy to and finally when the wall came down like all these secrets could come out right and so you know you can kind of just watch the news or <laughs> go read a history book if you want to see like charlie wilson's war part two the aftermath or something like that that's that's just sort of how i took it where the movie was like ramping it up and ramping it up and like just sort of blowing through the ending because like it becomes real life like or stuff that you could read about that that was not covered up or whatever
1: yeah, for sure. There's a nice blend there of the kind of the real life stuff and the just it's like it, it, it almost snaps you back like, oh, right, this actually really happened.
0: Yeah, it takes you more out of, like, the the characters and the plot of the movie and, like, bleeds it back into sort of, like, the real world.
1: My favorite part of this movie, I think, is just the type of Tom Hanks that we haven't normally seen. Like, this feels like a Tom Cruise role, kind of, right? Like, this feels like him in party mode. Like, my review on Letterboxd, I know this is simplifying things to a great extent, but I was like, politics seems fun. Like... I don't do cocaine and I don't, like, have sex with prostitutes, but, like, man, that life looks great. He just surrounds it. Like, the line, and I wrote it down, what's the line? You can teach him to type, but you can't teach him to grow tits? Like, there's so much here that's just, like, degrading and, like, of the time, I guess, but it just, he looks like he just won. Like, he just, he is the party boy senator to a certain extent or the party boy congressman? It's just like, he's surrounding himself with like lavishness and excess and just seems like no matter what he's doing, whether he's doing work stuff or just pleasure stuff, it's just like everything's coming up Millhouse. Like Tom Hanks has got it figured out. And I loved seeing him in the type of role that like we haven't normally seen. That's more, like I said, the cruise role. He's also like looking good here. He looks like thinner than he has in the last couple of movies. It looks like he's like, this is a thing that he really wanted to do, it feels like. So you don't think that's a,
0: a, a stunt butt? On Hanks Is that real Hanks ass that we see when he goes out of the hot tub? I mean, me? I don't know. I agree with you. I think he kills this character. Like, I kind of hate Charlie Wilson, though. <laughs> like, i am going to say, and I think that's a testament to how well he plays him. Like, this guy is, like, a glutton, he's arrogant, he just walks around privileged and protected and has all this access and shit like that. I'm sure, like, to some degree, he worked hard for a lot of this to get to the position he's in. But, you know, he goes around calling his assistants jailbait and all this kind of shit and, like, Sherry Appleby. He's definitely like a alcoholic and all that, you know, he's got like all the vices and things like that. But like, you're right. This is like R-rated Hanks to the extreme. This is like bachelor party Hanks, but in like a non-bachelor party movie, right? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but somehow he's, he's really making this work. I think his background in comedy is helping him out a lot here because there's a lot of like beat to hit and a lot of sort of tone shifts to hit within certain scenes like I think of that scene when Gust first comes and gives him the bottle and he has to rush him in and out of the room and all that kind of like that is really that's a tap dance
1: uh, and I think like you know it's orchestrated perfectly so yeah Hanks is on fire and I mean we just talked about Emily Blunt in Edge of Tomorrow and she was so good in that movie that that cruise club I think came out three weeks ago and then here you see her like in this like very prim and proper button down like almost military and then like instantly she's like na- not naked but like naked the apartment it's just like how is this to your point about bachelor party like this is kind of like the character that bachelor party guy always wanted to be when he grew up kind of it's just like oh yeah i'm just surrounded by beautiful women and party and excess and i have real responsibilities but also i kind of don't
2: i'm gonna dissent a little bit i think hanks is fine in the role i think he's miscast though i don't don't think he's the right fit for the role because hanks for me always reads there's a fundamental decency that is hard to you know extract from him and i think they thought that that was going to be useful for this character because it would allow the misogyny and excess and all and advice to go down easier i think what it does though is that i i then don't ever believe he's not going to make the right choices because i bring my hanks baggage and like well of course Hanks is going to do the right thing. I'm never wondering as he he sort of comes up against these moral quandaries that he's going to find the right thing to do. And I'm wondering about other actors. I don't know. Jeff Bridges comes to mind. I don't mind the idea of the Tom Cruise version of this, like someone who's a little more dangerous. I like it more when Tom Hanks stretches beyond the decency in something like Road to Perdition, where he seems like a, a an honorable man who's sort of fallen into this line of work or whatever, as opposed to this guy who we're I think we're supposed to believe is at heart kind of a you know he. A searcher of pleasures so i think he does well with what he's given and he's i'll watch him do almost anything but i don't know that he's the right fit he feels like he's playing a character more than he usually is. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't, didn't work as well for me.
1: Well, no, I mean, I agree with that, but I think that as I've kind of complained to Mike and guests on recent episodes, like, he's in this rhythm where you know what to expect from him in every movie, and I think it's a little boring, and I do think that even though it is a little character-y, I think it's a different type of thing than what we've seen before, and again, this might go back to our Rock of Ages discussion about, like, why Mike and I were able to enjoy that movie and you weren't, because we're, I'm watching this from a different perspective, uh, sure. and, like, I'm just, I'm looking for something new from hanks and i do think that this is at least different sure. i think it is more akin to the cruise stuff i think i was thinking about that lions for lambs movie right where it's like it's cruise as a politician like this is kind of like maybe cruise behind closed doors in that one right so i i would agree that you're on his side and i think that's maybe why you cast tom hanks but it's also at the same time if you speak to the real or if you not speak to because he's dead now but if you listen to the real charlie wilson when they talked about this movie he was addicted to cocaine like he just you know he didn't have a problem with the script because he's like it was all it's all true like i can't deny any of it so like it is that like it that type of life and i think that he's playing a character cuz it seems like charlie wilson kind of was a character right and it just feels larger than life
2: right no i'm not faulting the how he's doing it i'm faulting the the them for casting him for, for giving sure. him the job It's not it, He's he's doing nothing But what the script Is asking him to that, Which gets to The other issue I think with Half of this movie Is the direction Of this movie So Mike Nichols Made The Graduate Who's afraid Of Virginia Woolf Like he's a Legendary filmmaker But the movie Is shot in this Kind of classical Hollywood kind of way Like the movie Is shot as if It's A Few Good Men And the movie's I think the script Is much more Morally ambiguous Than the way The movie is presented To us With three point Lighting and and Crane shots And Is that intentional so or do you think that's just like a miscommunication I think it's a issue it's an issue I have with late Mike Nichols movies where I don't where I think he's making an old-fashioned movie in a modern sort of context and I don't think if it was a choice it's the wrong choice I was trying to imagine the Steven Soderberg version of this movie which is like down in the trenches with these people and in the like much more subjective to Charlie Wilson's experience of all this stuff or even like a Paul Greengrass movie you take the Tom Hanks performance from Captain Phillips where where you're is handheld. You're going through all this stuff with him. He's like sweating and gross, but he's he's trying to do the right. You know, he's trying to sort of survive and all this stuff. If you take that style of filmmaking and apply it to this story, I think it would improve the sort of casting alchemy of Tom Hanks and improve the, the telling of this particular story.
0: It's interesting that that didn't really uh, like occur to me or cross my mind too much until the end of the movie. I feel like by the end of the film, I was like, "Wow, this like kind of." visually felt a little off maybe that's just this, his style from being more of a classical filmmaker or something or from that era but i did just want to say about like hanks you know the possibility of a miscast the possibility of a stunt cast kind of thing i feel like Joey and I are sort of coming at this from a different angle a little bit, and we've had this discussion before, and I feel like this has worked less before, to be quite honest with you. Like, I feel like the first couple times I watched this, I am tricked by the casting of Tom Hanks to accept this character as, like, a not-that-bad kind of guy. But this time, I'm like, no. I... think he's a I think he's a horrible person I'm finally able to like sort of break through the screen of Hanks and see that beyond him so like it's tough it's a tough call on that end. I just wanted
1: to get that in there I also almost wonder if, like, if he's not a bad guy, but he's just trying to, for better or worse, use his position of power and prominence and whatever to, like, have a good life and be surrounded by these beautiful women and make a good salary and party it up and whatever, and he kind of falls into this thing where he's easily manipulated by Philip Seymour Hoffman, and maybe he's not that bad. By the end, he's like, oh, what have I done? It could be that kind of thing where he might, maybe he doesn't start out as a bad guy, he just starts out as, like, a party guy, and then by the end, it's just like... Yeah. And Julia Roberts, like, he's guided by his vices, right? And so,
0: like, he sees Julia Roberts roberts and and it's like oh look this beautiful woman with all this money that wants to help me but like amy adams is like no she's like uh she's almost a nazi like she's a, a super ultra right-wing conservative you know she's having a slave auction she's a racist she's like all these things but like he can't see that and and they're not necessarily hammered home in the film either because charlie wilson can't see that i think like gust is maybe the one person who sees through her but it again like it's, it's julia roberts like the first time I watched this movie I was like she's fucking awesome like look at her she's like an animal all that whatever she's like so powerful
1: and everything and this time I watched and I was like what a deplorable person (laughs) Well, I do want to say two things that I loved about the Julia Roberts. One about her character and one about just something and imp- the vaguer thing that I don't know how to describe is there's a shot of when when she and Tom Hanks are upstairs having sex or whatever that he does in the bathtub, there's a shot of Amy Adams drinking her martini lying <laughs> back on the stairs yes. surrounded by dogs. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I can't believe that's not on Google Images. I don't know why that screenshot is not everywhere cuz I was like that feels like the most depressing and wonderful just like this is my life. My boss is up there screwing this right-wing lunatic and I'm I'm down here surrounded by dogs drinking a martini like sure I guess this is what I'm getting paid for whatever but what I do really like the bigger thing and it's not as much a Julia Roberts thing as it is a script thing but I love the way she's introduced like I love that we hear her on the phone I love that we hear her about her reputation then we see the big oil painting of her on the wall and then only then do we actually see her in person there's so much build up to who this woman is and then we see her before we really see her and then we finally get her just like oh like there's it's like a tall tale almost. This
0: has been coming up lately in movies I've been watching and it's one of my favorite things and it's like kind of what they do with Tom Cruise in Rock of Ages. Sorry to reference that, Tobin. But like, you know, you talk up a character before he shows up and this is one step further where you hear the character but you don't see it. And then you see like a, a representation of the character, like a painting or a sculpture, but that's not the yeah. real person. And then the real thing walks into the door and you're like, don't know what to think about it or anything. And and Sorkin also does sort of the opposite very perfectly in this too with Gust, where it's a monologue introduction, right? And those are extremely hard to do also. So I feel like both of those character
1: introductions are great. It's the kind of thing that we we sort of wanted last week on Cruise Club or whenever it's I don't know time is weird about Jack Reacher never go back right like we want that kind of thing for Kobe Smolders and it's like oh no here she is it's like well we, you started building up this like mystique this aura and then it was just gone exactly and, like you
0: don't want to see her character until they're breaking her out of prison spoiler but like that happens in the first act
1: now on the flip side Tobin you've mentioned a few things that don't quite work for you that you would rather have seen changed or swapped or whatever is there something about this what about this is your least favorite part of this movie Gosh
2: I it's, it pains me to say it but I do think it's the direction not to go over it all again but when we did our Cinemakers on Steven Soderbergh he talked about how you make one or two key creative choices at the outset of making a movie and then you have to sort of stick to those guns through the making of it and I feel like there's a miscalculation here in terms of the way that the thing is all framed and made to look glossy in a way that I don't think serves the story very well because I love the casting of this movie I love all the bit parts all the people who show up in this movie and you're like oh my god there's John Slatter you know I love all that especially those scenes between Gust and anybody else are like some of the great kind of duets of, of Sorkinese but I
0: think that it's I just don't think it's particularly served by the by the directing I think where I noticed that is we have, like, between Julia Roberts, Tom Hanks, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, we have these three larger-than-life characters who probably were in real life close to this, right? Like, mm-hmm. could afford to be like this. It's, you know, Gus the spy, like, Hanks the, the senator, and Julia Roberts the socialite and all that stuff. And I feel like later in the movie, everybody starts getting that way. Like, even the Afghanistans, when they're shooting down helicopters, it becomes, like, a cartoon, where they're like, we got it, we got it, la-la-la-la and like all this stuff and it's like what what happened all of a sudden like i thought this was like gonna be a serious but comedic drama and it kind of turned into like a comedy at the end i was feeling sort of an off shift on the tone maybe slipping as it was going along like starting one way sort of sliding into like this spy thriller and then kind of stumbling out of it into like a comedy of something couldn't really put my finger on it either but I, i was sort of going to myself like there's something uneven or off happening here in my head
1: tobin do you think overall is this a do you think it's a good movie or do you think like i guess you know i know you think it could be better but would you say if you had to say this is a good movie or a bad movie you think this is a more of a good movie or more of a bad movie this is a gentleman's b minus what does that mean that you're being kind about it yeah okay
2: the charm of some of the performances particularly seymour hoffman outweigh the things that are not as good about the movie but that's only because i love them so much you know, I'm, if I'm if I'm grading gently, you know, if it's my freshman who's been having a hard time this semester, you know, I'm going to give him a B minus and I'm going to feel fine about that.
1: All right. I get that. I get that. I was teetering like I had all day I had at a three and a half stars. I bumped it up to four because I'm just like, I, I enjoy this. Like I had more fun watching this. Than a bunch of other Hanks movies recently, not all of them. And it's not, you know, it's not in my top ten Hanks movies, but I was just like, I like this. I don't know, I don't think I'm ever gonna watch it again. I mean, I might watch the Philip Seymour Hoffman scenes on YouTube. I think that's cool. Or like you said, I think you mentioned the scene before, Tobin, about him like bugging the bottle of scotch and like in and out, like the the interplay there. Like it feels like a stage adaptation. Like it just uh-huh. feels wonderful. And I love that. But yeah, I don't know that I'm gonna go back and watch this again, but I enjoyed it, you know.
2: As I look at the at his filmography leading up to this, not counting the voice work, I can completely see how this would feel like oh i'm gonna take a breath because i can watch something that's well written and where he feels like he's playing an actual character and like i I can i can see that as i look at the at the filmography so i'm and i'm not having that experience right i'm doing my regular watching and then i duck in to watch this and i'm like yeah okay it's fine it's fine you know
0: We've gotten some wild Hanks over the last four movies, bro. It's like we had full CGI Hanks Right. the Uncanny Valley. We had Colonel Sanders. Like, imagine this guy, but, like, a thousand times harder.
2: <laughs> this is Lady Killers you're talking about?
0: Yeah. 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 And then in the we did Da Vinci Code, where he, he actually runs around looking like Nick Cage impersonation in that movie. So, like, he's kind of, like, teetering on the deep end of the pool in the last couple of outings. So it was kind of sort of pulling it back and, like, seeing that he can, like, reel it in a bit more yeah. and like perform
1: yeah this is the first movie on hanks of the memories in like a month or month and a half that i've like genuinely enjoyed like basically since catch me if you can right like i know this movie i'm not comparing this to that because that movie is fantastic that's a great movie yeah
0: but like the terminal the terminal like the voice in that compared to the voice in this oh boy like a lot of these i'm just like what is happening i always thought of uh,
2: I, they should rename the terminal the interminable
1: oh, oh look at you hey 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 Terminal. One word review. Terminal. (laughs) Mike, what about you? What's your least favorite part of this movie? Is it something you've mentioned already?
0: Like, it's tough. There's a lot of things that just don't sit well because I feel like they're not supposed to. So, like, I don't want to say it's, like, my least favorite part of the movie, like, oh, the Julia Roberts character, because she's, like, supposed to rub you like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, like, this and that and stuff. So I think my least favorite part is probably just how, like, the Afghans are portrayed, which is like they're not. They're uh-huh. basically just numbers on a page or something. I mean, we get one or two scenes where it's like a Sally Struthers commercial, right, where they go and they see, like, the the the. The, the horrors of war and the small village and the little children that are you know picked up the shiny object that turned out to be a bomb and all this kind of stuff and like eh, it's like all oh, fine but it's supposed to be propaganda to trick Charlie and all this kind of stuff and I get that and so I don't know I just wish that there was a more humanizing moment maybe with the adults like maybe with the with the men they were trying to train we could just get like one scene to be like I need to care about this person later so that like when their family gets gunned down by a helicopter it actually matters to me uh, Uh, And it's not just like, oh, no, Charlie needs more money kind of thing. So I think they really did kind of drop the ball on basically like what they were sort of protecting and doing and all this kind of stuff. Like there's there's more about Israeli and Pakistan in this, I feel, than there is about like Afghanistan and Russia. So like I just really wish that they maybe paid more attention to like. Trying to teach us one thing in here about what was really you know a little bit deeper than what was going on on the surface, so.
2: and they're racing through it all so fast that I I think you're I hadn't really thought about that, but you're totally right about the sidelining of the Afghan side of things. And as they sort of gallop ahead through this movie, you know it would be interesting to take an episode of six, six episodes, you spend one hour on the ground, you know, with some mujahideen fighters, and then you go back to Charlie's side, like you you see really get to feel the kind of stakes of what he's doing, the game he's playing. I think that would have been a a much stronger way to tell the story. That's
0: a great idea. There's one moment where like, I think Gust's really impressed because they took down like an armored tank on on, like, they were on goats or something, you know? Like he's (laughs) like, oh, how's that? And it's like, whoa, I would have loved to have seen that scene yeah like yeah you know like that would have been great or, or the or like the chess kid where he's like oh we just train like so-and-so number of people and whatever and we have our little
1: squadron and it's like well show us them do like a mission right like that would be great in the middle of this movie i don't know that i have anything that you guys haven't or that we all haven't said already i will point out one of my least favorite scenes was watching julia roberts spread out her eyelashes with a safety pin i was like what is happening <laughs> that is terrifying okay so here's a question i mentioned emily blunt before does she i guess do we know does she sleep ostensibly sleep with her go, to, or with the intention of sleeping with hanks on her own volition or is she is her dad pimping her out i was kind of unclear about that and i felt a little icky about that
2: i hadn't i hadn't concerned with that
1: now
0: that you say that though i think her dad was pimping her out like right? cause I'm, I'm just gonna go to that
1: end of the spectrum now with everything in government and politics and she clearly has no reason to be at the meeting, right? The dad goes to talk business. He just brings his beautiful daughter, right? And then later we cut to at their apartment, she's not wearing pants. It's like, how did this happen? I guess it's supposed to be like the animal magnetism of Charlie Wilson. But like, it also feels like, hey, I'm going to get my way. Like, why don't you go home with him, honey? Which is gross. Uh,
2: I th- it may be, although there's nothing in the performance of the dad that would support that. I, I think that it's, it's, it is probably too ambiguous. My, my worry is that it's actually kind of just a cheap joke. Like, look, these uptight so-called, you know, Christian evangelicals in to talk about needing to make sure that they can have a nativity scene in front of a firehouse. And, oh, look, the daughter is actually a slut, which is kind of which is gross, not only in terms of what might be going on between the three of them as they're working stuff out, but girls from the point of view of the movie a little bit. Where again, if you had a long, a little bit more time to sort of have any any interaction in the office, even just just like a smile, like he catches her eye or whatever, and it would have would have explained that a little bit. But just asserting it because again, because I think we come to this with so much sense of the of the decency of Hanks. It's like, well, she must be doing so, like it can't be just because he's so hot. Right, because that's not how we think of Tom Hanks or whatever. So yeah, it's I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me, and I don't think that that's what's happening. But I can see how it could be read that way, which is which is also gross.
1: Although I do want to say, on that note of Tom Hanks being hot, this is not a phrase that I ever would have thought to assign to him. But if we're trying to calculate the Tom Hanks fuckability scale, like this has got to be top with a bullet, right? Like he's never been like this before, right? I don't know. Like I don't I don't have a great
0: sense of this. Not not like portrayed in a film before. I is this desirable. I
2: what about Seatless in Seattle? You know, like go to old, old Hanks, you know, I think that again, this is not, this is not, not gross, but Tom Hanks in big, you know, like there's a certain, Oh boy,
1: that's weird. That's real weird. It's weird.
2: Right. But there's something <laughs> to that. I don't know. I, but maybe later Hank, or like mid, mid era Hanks. This may be as, <laughs> as hot as he gets. I don't know.
0: You know, what's interesting though, Joey, about your point about the Emily Blunt character is, I kind of and I, I see this in other writing and I feel like especially you know Joss Whedon does stuff like this that almost feels like an inside joke like some people like Sorkin are so good at almost over explaining things you know or like having too much dialogue or all this but like having it feel natural and and necessary and all this thing and then on the other side of the spectrum he'll just do like this little touch that like you have to you know decode on your own or whatever almost mm. like it was some kind of easter egg or something like that and it always bugs the shit out of me (laughs) i swear like other people do that and it's like it feels like it pops up a lot in modern movies too like after the year 2000 that like oh like this is maybe just you know if you're paying super duper attention or like you've been through this movie four times or something like you'll finally catch this but it did it does annoy me to be quite honest um and there might be one or two other moments in this film in particular that does something like that where it's like oh you don't know you're supposed to know well that's on you and it's like yeah i don't like
1: that attitude right
2: that's a great way to put that for sure for sure
1: do either of you have any other thoughts any other notes about charlie wilson's war before we play a couple games
2: i would maybe up my grade to a b i think philip seymour
0: hoffman is that good a gentleman's
1: a gentleman's
2: (laughs) b yeah yeah a gentleman's b for philip seymour hoffman
0: yeah dude i mean yeah like he's great that character's great like in the show that Tobin wants to produce about this story (laughs) like I could imagine his solo episode you know where like him and Slattery have their first run in you know what caused that I want to see like all this shit like yeah he's great.
1: I will say we got Amy Adams back from Catch Me If You Can where she played a young baby Amy Adams when she was in a relationship with Leo.
0: I don't think her and Hanks had a scene together or maybe one maybe one scene when he came in to bust Leo and he
1: was out the window already. Maybe this is the at least the second time that Tom Hanks has played somebody with the last name Wilson because we've got Kip and Buffy back from uh, Bosom Buddies. Mm. And Wilson the volleyball and his wife's name is Yes, Wilson. yes, yes. And then the only other thing is that in real life, Charlie and Joanne, so the Hanks and uh, Julie Roberts characters, were engaged to be married at one point. They did not get married, oh. but they were engaged to be married at one point. Huh. All right. Big question. Could, and I think the answer is yes, because I think this is like the first thing I said, could Tom Cruise play the role of Charlie Wilson in Charlie Wilson's War. Totally. Yeah. Like, this feels like, it feels like this is a movie, it's like a role made for him. It, it almost feels like he might have turned this down because it doesn't have enough running. <laughs> well, I just, I just watched the Electric Boogaloo documentary about Canon Films and there were two actors, it might have been Chuck Norris and Jean-Claude Van Damme, but like, there was a point in Canon Films where they would like, have every script and no matter what the movie was, they had to put it in one of two piles. It was either Van Damme or Chuck Norris. And they were like, it could be like Wuthering Heights, it has to be like one of these two. Like, no matter what. So it feels like, it's like okay, we do Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise. It's like, well, we just put this on the wrong pile. Like, if every movie in Hollywood is going to one of them, this we meant to put on Cruise, but we accidentally put on Tom Hanks. And then it got made. Yeah, I, I still always picture, like,
0: that there's one shot in Entourage where, like, Vince just has, like, a pile of scripts to the ceiling, you know? And it's like, I just picture that's, like, Tom Cruise has a room like that, where it's just, like, every script written in Hollywood
1: is just, like, sent to him. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So the question now we have, is Tom Hanks in this movie still America's dad? He has established himself as America's dad. <laughs> is he still America's dad? And I'm going to say no. Hell no. Probably not. No. Not even close. Not even a little bit.
2: Maybe he's like stepdad. <laughs> no offense to stepdads everywhere. But...
1: It's uh, America's illegitimate father? Or you, can you... <laughs> I don't know. America's deadbeat
0: dad. America's
2: deadbeat uncle is maybe
0: the,
1: yeah. the black
2: sheep, right? Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now the Woodies, the Tom Hanks Awards, the best and the worst of what Tom Hanks' filmography has to offer. Best film, worst film, best of the worst, most fun, bad film. As much as I enjoyed this, I don't think it's any of those. No. Nah. Do any of you disagree? Agree?
0: Like, I like it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I might have come across harsh on it tonight, but, you know, I, I have watched it for, like three or four times. You know, like, there are things I love Hoffman. Like, I like a lot of the performances. You know, I love it. I like the idea of the movie, the concept of. I, I don't know. There's always. Like, I'm surprised there aren't more films about covert missions now that like a lot of this stuff is declassified and shit so like i I love that whole angle the the espionage stuff you know it's almost like m.i light mission
1: impossible very 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 possible (laughs) (laughs) so is that a no no to a no. <laughs> Best role, worst role, most wasted performance. Again, good, not great. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough. He's like, Hank says a lot of good roles. Like, this is a tough one. I guess the question, this is a difficult, I mean, based on what Tobin said, this is kind of a difficult question to answer. It's not necessarily worst role, it's kind of worst casting, yeah. which is yeah. a different kind of thing altogether. So we might just steer clear of this. Yeah. Best ensemble,
2: yes Ooh, or no? There's something to that. There's a bunch of great, great people in this movie. yeah. Okay, Charlie Wilson's work. Like, down to the one-liners. Well,
0: even, yeah, like, his girls that work for him in the office, like, each of them are great. And, like, the Israeli arms dealer, like, he's got one or two scenes, and he's amazing. (laughs) Yes,
1: Even, like, the the Russian helicopter pilot is memorable in his, like, three lines. I mean, they're being, like, just joking about, like, being whatever, like, terribly sexist dudes, but, like, they're memorable, right? Like, they nail the part they're supposed to nail, right? So, um, I also do want to point out that Sherry Appleby, who plays Jailbait, you know, they're all Charlie's Angels. Like, they just called Charlie's Angels in... real life and I think also maybe in the movie in reference to the TV show of course but Sherry Appleby is like the lead of Unreal
2: oh sure
1: it's her and Constance Zimmer sure and that show is incredible and she's amazing on that show and the fact that she can lead that show eight years after this like that's not a long time after that and she's like in such a small part here like you can just see the road ahead so like in terms of the ensemble everybody's gonna go on to do great things basically yeah exactly best fight Hanks does not really get into like a fist fight right No, no. Best dance scene? No. Best party scene? We haven't had a best party scene in a while, but I think that hot tub with the strippers and the cocaine might be up there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
2: It's a great introduction,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. It's probably going to win, like, as far as Hanks goes. (laughs) Like, I I
1: don't see it getting much more uh, rowdy than that. Best Hanks outfit wardrobe? Do we want to say his, like, white Bond-esque suit or no? Mm, I mean, it wasn't much better than his Colonel Sanders suit in... True. True. Lady killers. <laughs> best death, he does not die. Best line or best freakout? I think my favorite thing that he says, and I don't think I should, I don't think I will nominate this, but his whole thing about basically when he rigged that election by driving yeah. all those voters to the polls, yes. and, like, and that's the day I fell in love with America. I'm like, that's a great speech. It's but like, it's speech. not, it's too extended for like what well, the purposes of this, I right, think. Right. Best soundtrack theme score? Nope. Ooh, nah. Best or worst love story? Here's the thing. Do we do a... Charlie Wilson and Joanne love story. I mean, it's not really a love story, but it's kind of a love story.
2: No, his love
0: story is with gust in this movie.
2: If, it was, mm. if, it, if it's with anybody.
1: Mike, what do you think? Indecisive?
0: Yeah, no? I'm kinda, I was going to say him and his love of politics. And <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to go outside the box to, to award it, so yeah. There's certainly no conventional
1: love story here uh then best non-hanks actor male or female we gotta say philip seymour hoffman as gust oh please so we have four nominees best ensemble best party scene best hanks actor best non-hanks actor male and best non-hanks actor female so basically surprise surprise uh good actors delivering lines from one of our best living screenwriters it you know things go well <laughs> yeah who could have thunk it right well, see,
0: that's, I mean, that's what saved this whole production probably to begin with is the pedigree involved, right? Like if it came out like this with the top at the top, like imagine if there was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, a, yeah. I don't know, like just someone lesser than, than the best
1: uh, put to work here probably just all would have just like fallen apart like a house of cards or something like our past guest and our friend from down under i don't know if she listens to this podcast uh, amelia remember from watch the throne she gave us i think three stars in letterboxd and she said i wish this cast made a rom-com instead and i'm like you're not wrong like that would be a great (laughs) rom-com cast but you know what they did i i liked it again might not ever watch it again but i enjoyed it okay well today mike as this comes out yes may 29th we also have out a little movie called the mummy (laughs) <laughs> oh on Cruise boy!
2: Club. Boy, oh boy! The
1: Dark Universe. <laughs> oh boy! And then next week we've got a smaller movie. No guest on this one. It is a Hanks' directorial effort, I believe, starring his son Colin Hanks. We've got The Great Buck Howard on Hanks for the Memories. And then over on Cruise Club next week we have American Made. As we wind down on Cruise Club, we've only got two more movies after today. So after The Mummy we've got American Made, and we've got Mission Impossible Fallout. Then we got some bonus episodes. But we're almost at the end. Of Cruise Club, so if you're not listening to Cruise Club now, it's a great time to start, because you're almost at the end. I don't know if that makes any sense, (laughs) but catch up before it's over. Those are two, I mean, I'm going to
0: show my hand here, but those are two great movies coming up, so uh, we're
1: going out with a bang. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, and the mummy the three, three, three for three. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, my bad. What was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> but Tobin, thank you so much for being here. So this episode comes out May 29th, which means that three days ago, yes, you and Iceland put out your monthly contenders, and the movie was drum roll, please, because I do not remember. It's
2: a beautiful day in the neighborhood.
1: Oh right.
2: Yeah. So we'll be uh, exploring uh, Hanks's fundamental decency deployed quite cannily, I think, in in that movie. So,
1: have you seen that movie yet or no? I have not. It is weird. It is way (laughs) weirder than you think it ever has any
0: right to be. Like, are we talking, like, acid trips and, like... No,
1: but, like, for a movie about... Like, it's it's not kidding with Jim Carrey on Showtime, which is basically, like, an acid trippy LSD... I was kidding. Yeah, that's what I was going for. (laughs) I know, but, like... But man, oh man, like it—it's weird. Just get ready. I mean, it's not like insane, but it's weird, way weirder than you think a Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers movie would ever be.
2: Yeah, I—I I, knowing Mariel Heller's other work, I'm kind of, that was what I was hopeful for in that movie—that it would be weirder than the than the conventional Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers movie. So uh, yeah. yeah, by now, listening to this, you have you likely will have heard our uh, yes. our discussion of that of that film. Cool.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Are you gonna be back oh yes, you're gonna be back on this very podcast before too long for Captain Phillips and Bridge of Spies. So Yay. a more very serious I can't wait. you know, well made Hanks movies. To my faves. But for all things, Hanks, for the memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at club pod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, Hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week for The Great Buck Howard. Check out Cruise Club every Friday. Fridays are for fun. High School Summer Party, Two Tom Tom Clubs, and Too Fast, Too Forever. Check out all shows. We got Tobin's podcast this week, The Contenders. We got Mike's third time to charm next week so go check out all 27 shows all 40 or 50 episodes whatever we put out a month at cageclub.me i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and that was tobin addington we'll see you next time right here on hanks for the memories
2: I do not understand the energy women have after sex. You're dancing around, you're baking a pie.